I invite you to take your Bibles, if you will, and turn with me to the New Testament book of Romans. Romans chapter 3, Paul's letter to the church at Rome, chapter 3, beginning at verse 21, where Paul writes, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been disclosed and is attested By the law and the prophets, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there's no distinction, since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are now justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a sacrifice of atonement by His blood effective through faith. He did this to show his righteousness because in his divine forbearance he passed over the sins previously committed. It was to prove at the present time that he himself is righteous and that he justifies the one who has faith in Jesus. Will you pray with me? Almighty God, we give you thanks for your holy word and for this privilege of studying it together. And now as I stand before these, your people, I pray that this would be your message to your church, to your world, in the name of Jesus the Christ. Amen. The church at Rome must have been relieved when Paul's letter finally got to chapter 3, verse 21. Remember, this is a letter to churches, and when Paul would write a letter, the letter would be taken to the various communities and churches, and someone would read it. So the congregation has been hearing this letter starting at chapter 1, verse 1, and they have to be about exhausted by now. When you read this book, after Paul gets through the greetings, he moves straight in to the root of the issue, and that is the sin and brokenness in our lives and in our world. As a matter of fact, in Romans chapter 1, he tells us about the guilt of humankind and how God finally says, if you want it, you got it. And he leaves us to our passions and he left the world to the the lust and all the things that was going on in the world and the brokenness. You get to chapter 2, you hear about God's wrath and you hear about God's frustration and his pain over the brokenness and the sin and the trespasses that's going on in our world. And chapter 3, we started out hearing, and there is none righteous, none of us are righteous. Finally, finally, thank God, we get to verse 21, where Paul says, but now, but now. We've been walking in this season of Lent, looking at amazing grace, focusing on God's grace in our lives. You see, for me, the definition of grace is God's love in action. We're told in John that God is love, that's his essence, and love in action, that is grace. God's love doing something is God's grace. God's love making a difference, active, is God's grace. 
And we've been looking at the, the variety of types of grace. We looked at the metaphor, for example, that John Wesley has of the house and how there's a porch, the front porch, the welcoming. That's prevenient grace. That's grace that goes ahead of us before we're ever aware of it. And then the door of the house, that's justifying grace. That's saving grace when we believe in Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. And then we enter into the house, into the room dwelling within the house. That's sanctifying grace, growing in our faith. See, John Wesley believed that you could see God's salvation at work in a beautiful way became known as the Ordo Salutis, the Order of Salvation, or the Via Salutis, the Way of Salvation. Seeing how God moves in our lives to bring us from our sin and our brokenness to saving grace and sanctifying grace that helps us to grow in our faith and in our relationship. Dr. Tom Langford was a great theologian. He was at one point the dean of Duke Divinity School. He wrote a great book called Practical Divinity, which deals with Wesleyan theology. And in the book, he says, moving from conscience to conviction of sin, to repentance, to justification, to regeneration, to sanctification, to glorification, there is a pattern of gracious development. I mean, we see God's grace working through all the way of how God from before we're ever even aware of it to the time we're growing and growing in our faith to finally we live with God forever. His grace is at work. So I invite you, if you didn't have a chance to see the previous messages, to go back and look at those. For the first time, we talked about prevenient grace which is that grace that goes before us. In Ephesians 2, verse 1, for example, Paul says to us that we were dead. We were dead in our sin and trespasses. But verse 4, Ephesians 2, verse 4 says, but God. Oh, that's the good news. But God, even though we were dead, God did something about it because God is rich in His mercy and His great love for us offers us grace. By grace, we have been saved. Last week, we looked at convicting grace, and that's the grace of God whispering to us, speaking to us, letting us know our need for Jesus Christ, the door, that saving grace that changes our lives. And today... We're looking at justifying grace. What does it mean to be justified? Now, one of the things we human beings have a tendency to do is to try to justify ourselves. When something goes wrong, when we've made a mistake, we have all the reasons, all the excuses, all the things that we can share about why it happens, and we try to justify ourselves. But Paul makes it abundantly clear There's no way we can justify ourselves. We are guilty as charged. As a matter of fact, he says, you're guilty as sin because you're guilty of sin. We're guilty as sin because we're guilty of sin. Now, sin is a word in our culture that we don't like. As a matter of fact, there may be a temptation to hit pause or stop now. 
because that's, that's a word we don't like to deal with very much. It's, it makes us be honest with ourselves and to realize our brokenness and our sense of rebellion at times from God. But Paul tells us in Romans chapter 3, the scripture that we've read, is that God is doing an amazing thing and that the law and the prophets, those are the scriptures of the Old Testament during Jesus' day and Paul's day. The scriptures were the law and the prophets and then you had the writings like Psalms and others. But whether it's the law of Moses or all the prophets, they all point, Paul says, to what God is doing through Jesus Christ. And in Romans 3 verse 23... He makes it pretty clear, all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It is what it is. There's the verdict. Guilty is charged. There's the conviction. Guilty of sin and trespasses. It's why Paul had said in Ephesians 2.1, you are dead through your sin and your trespasses. But God does something. So Paul then says in Romans chapter 3 verse 24 that they are now justified. Justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The Greek word here is dikaiou which means to declare righteous. Now, I love that. Think about that. And just replace that word with that definition. They are now declared righteous by grace. I mean, it's a beautiful concept that we were dead. All of us have sinned. We come short of the glory of God. But God has declared us righteous by His grace. John Wesley has an amazing sermon called Justification by Faith. In that sermon, he says... The plain scriptural notion of justification is pardon. Justification of sins. That word pardon, now it has political overtones for us today, but the word pardon actually does not mean innocence. Pardon does not tell us that we're no longer guilty. We're still guilty. The the conviction is the same. The conviction, the verdict guilty as charged, the difference is forgiveness. That in spite of the fact that we are guilty, we are forgiven. That's what makes it grace. That we have been forgiven by God in spite of our sin, in spite of the fact that we were dead in our sin, full of sin and trespasses, our broken was there, All of us have sinned. We've been declared righteous. We have been forgiven by God's grace, His justifying grace. It is a gift from God. Paul said this is through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And the word for redemption here is a word that was used to talk about ransom, the paying of ransom. For example, when someone was a prisoner of war, they would often be ransomed. That's how you got your person back after you lost in battle, is you paid ransom to the victor. 
or if someone was in debt or slavery and they, they needed to be released, you paid the ransom and you got them back. And what we're hearing is that God is the one who does this, that God ransoms us. He's willing to give us redemption through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul says that's when we are justified. That's when we experience what's referred to as being born again in John chapter 3 when Jesus is having the conversation with Nicodemus and he says to him, you must be born again. You must have new birth, that new life, that fresh start. And how does that happen? It's by grace. You see, John Wesley taught that justification is what Jesus Christ does for us. Being born again, new birth, is what Jesus Christ does in us. Did you catch the difference? Justification, being justified, declared righteous, is what Jesus Christ does for us. Then the new birth is what Jesus Christ does in us. In his sermon, Justification by Faith, Wesley continues. He says, Justifying faith implies not only a divine evidence or conviction that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, but a sure trust and confidence that Christ had died for my sins, that he loved me and gave himself for me. And at whatever time soever a sinner thus believes, be it early in childhood, in the strength of his or her years, or when they are old and hoary-haired, gray-haired, God justifieth the ungodly one. God justifies the ungodly one when we believe. In his book, Practical Divinity, Tom Langford goes on to say, that to know God is to know God as Savior. To know God is to know God as Savior. And the challenging thing, though, is, is we talk about how God so loves the world. But what Paul wants you to hear, what I want you to hear, what John Wesley would want you to hear is that you're part of the world and that God so loves you. And even though you and I both have been declared guilty of our sin, our trespasses, our brokenness, God is willing to declare us righteous by His justifying grace. He is willing to pardon us that in spite of the fact that we are guilty, we are loved And thus, that love and action is grace, and that grace offers us forgiveness. Amazing grace. It's justifying grace. It's the grace that forgives us and pardons us. But John Wesley struggled himself on being able to preach forgiveness and grace for the world and finally realizing that forgiveness and grace was for him. 
As a matter of fact, he wrestled with that quite a bit. He was receiving coaching and mentoring from the Moravians, trying to help him move his faith from his head to his heart and to realize that what Jesus is promising in the Scripture, what Paul speaks of in the Scripture, included him. So he had an experience that's known as the Aldersgate experience. It's one of the reasons you'll see Methodist churches or institutions sometimes named Aldersgate. It's because he had this amazing experience. He says in his journal on May the 24th of 1738, he said, In the evening, I went very unwillingly to a society in Aldersgate Street. And I love that. A society was the Bible study, the gathering together. But here the preacher even says, I went unwillingly. I didn't really want to go. didn't feel like going, but I went anyway. He goes with some friends to a Bible study, a society meeting at Aldersgate Street. He said where one was reading Luther's preface to the epistle to the Romans. So it was Luther's commentary on the book of Romans that's being read in this Bible study. He says... About a quarter before nine, while he, meaning Luther, was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for my salvation. And an assurance was given to me that he had taken away my sins, even mine. And save me from the law of sin and death. You see, Paul wants us to hear the but God from Ephesians 2, 4. Or but now from Romans 3, 21. That in spite of our brokenness, God has done something. Because God desperately loves you. And God wants to offer you this free gift of grace, justifying and saving grace. That's why we sing that it's amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. And God wants to save you as well with His justifying grace. And He goes to extreme measures to make that happen. We're walking with Jesus to the cross. And today, we will join with the church at the table where we share in the body and the blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, God's offer of forgiveness for you, it's not cheap. It cost him everything he had because he loves you more than anything. And he wants you and me to be part of his family, part of his kingdom, and to live with him forever in the fullness of the kingdom of God. So I invite you now, we've talked about prevenient grace, that even though you were dead, God didn't leave you there. Convicting grace, which you may be feeling now, I often do, where God whispers in our ear, tugs at our heart, 
moves us to go, you know what? You need that door of salvation. You need Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. And you may be feeling that. And hear the good news. There's a justifying grace where God wants to declare you righteous, to pardon you, to, to forgive you in spite of the fact that we may have been guilty. We now have this forgiving grace in our lives. New birth where we can be born again and made a new person all by this redemptive work through Jesus Christ. For our God was willing to pay the price that you may receive grace and return to His loving arms. And I invite you into the arms of Jesus the Christ today.